You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling, and I'm your host, Casey Corbin. Thank you for joining us today on the show. But before we go to the show, you know what we got to do. Please hit us up on all those social media outlets. Give us a tweet on the old Twitter at TNWPod. Uh, give us a, a like if you're on Facebook at uh, Facebook Talking Wrestling. Um, we were on the Instagram. If you could go on the Instagram and give us a follow where I like. We are at Talking Wrestling Podcast on Instagram, as well as uh, send us a Gmail and uh, let us know what you think of the show. Give us some ideas. What do you want to hear? Send in a question for our upcoming Q and A uh, show uh, that's later on this year. Uh, yeah, so do all that at uh, Talking Wrestling at Gmail dot com. Uh, please, if you're on iTunes and you're subscribing to us through iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe if you give us a five-star rating and a favorable review. We will send you a postcard from the 80s uh, of a wrestler of your choice once we give you a list. Hopefully, we can match it up. Uh, also, if you do send a, if you do, do a review, uh, give us a heads up. Let us know on, the, on one of the other formats that uh, you did so we see it so we know to check for it. Okay, that sounds pretty good. We're on Spotify as well. If you're on Spotify, check us out, Talking Wrestling. Uh, put us on a on a playlist or a follow us or give us a like. Uh, while you're at it, why not check out uh, me, Comedian Casey Corbin. Uh, but I'm just uh, Casey Corbin on there, the artist. And you'll find three uh, CDs uh, that I've uh, put out, comedy albums. Nobody calls them CDs. Anyway, folks... That is uh, the ongoing ramble of the start of the show. We do it every week. I would imagine most of you probably fast forward it. But um, yeah, it's time now for the show. Uh, I am still in quarantine as you are. If you're being smart, you're in lockdown. Uh, If you're not uh, in lockdown and you're working on the front lines and you're an essential worker, uh, thank you for uh, doing it. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, let's all do our part. Stay in, stay safe. Listen to podcasts like Talking Wrestling. Go hit us up in the back catalog. Why not? If you're new to the show, check out some of our previous episodes. Great episodes with uh, with WWE legends and Hall of Famers uh, like Ted DiBiase and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Jimmy the Mouse South Heart. Uh, we got uh, current uh, indie superstars like RJ City and Channing Decker. You might want to hear one of them. Or a legendary referee or or uh, Jimmy Corderas uh, or Santino Morella, uh, you know, as well as uh, comedians like uh, K. Trevor Smith from uh, from uh, Letterkenny Problems. Uh, you've seen it on Crave. It's on Hulu as well. Uh, Dave Merej, who's on uh, Raimi. You want to check that out? Uh, won a, uh, I believe it won a Golden Globe last year. He's on our show. Uh, very, very funny comedian. A Juno winning comedian as well. Juno is a Canadian Grammy, for those of you who don't know. Uh, with that said, uh, who's my guest this week? Well, this week we got an American comic who now lives up here in Canada. Very, very funny guy. Uh, not to be confused with wrestler Jim Norton, this guy, Sam Norton, is one hell of a comic, and uh, you guys are going to like him. And he's quarantined right now, so we're going to throw to Mean Gene in quarantine with Sam Norton. Uh, take it away, Mean Gene. Right now, I'm with my good friend and comedian, friend of mine, uh, originally from uh, America, but I believe uh, Chicago, but I'm not 100% sure. But it doesn't matter that. Regardless, now living here in the GTA of the greater Toronto area. Uh, Sam Norton, how are you? Thank you for coming on Talking Wrestling, and thanks for being here. 
I'm good, and I want to start this off honestly, and that I've missed uh, just hanging out with comics and shit, uh, mainly because of what you just said, where it's like, I'm here with my good friend and good comedian friend, which means that there is a tinge of you that actually respects my comedy. Yes, I'm not Richard Dreyfus. I think <laughs> you make me laugh. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's All so, right. okay. Well, you we'll get, wanna... Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, just before just to let everybody know just before we hopped on here you're like this is the most calm i've ever heard you and you are within three seconds you've already got me to where i'm like i'm gonna start screaming don't mention that old fucking guy's name ever to me <laughs> and you know what oh, the best, fuck you, him. you know so to give the people the 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 hinds the, the backstory there's two great stories that i have with sam that i love um one is about in kingston when we were out smoking uh, on the front porch and cigars and such, and uh, we're telling stories, and they told and, and and they vilified me for telling a story where I worked an audience like a wrestling wrestler would into <laughs> believing something to get a reaction I wanted, which was a standing ovation. So I told them my grandmother passed away, but it was a dying wish. It's all just a story. My grandmother wasn't upset. You know, and uh, and I got the stand ovation, and they said that's horrible. And I tried to compare it to Kaufman, but then they told me this story of a guy who moved to L.A. and for the first year he was there, he pretended that he was in a wheelchair, so he's a wheelchair comic. Which means if you're a wheelchair comic, you jump to the top of the comic chart, and you don't even have to be that funny. So if you're a, <laughs> if you're an average funny comedian. And then you become a wheelchair comedian. You've just jumped up a lot of funnier white people. So the great thing is this guy goes to L.A. And for a year, they tell me, he's a wheelchair comic. People are lifting him up on a stage. People are opening doors for him, carrying him upstairs, helping him out wherever he could go. And then one day he just got out of the wheelchair and walked away. And these guys thought it was brilliant. And I'm like, no, that's a fucking asshole. That is a fucking asshole and a half. I would Okay. Don't I, hey, don't bury you're bury you're sandbagging the the distinct difference. Cause what you didn't the the main problem we said where you're the villain and he's the hero is that where you got the audience to like clap for you, you didn't then go, Hey guys, uh I'm just fucking with you, which is true heel heat. You went like I wish I would have done that though. I didn't even think about it. That's what that's not only way funnier to like go fuck you to the audience after they give you a standing ovation, but it's also like like baby faces don't just lie like like that's that's a that's a villain. But in, like in you're, my defense, you're a heel. In, in my defense, my grandmother was really dead. So <laughs> you know <laughs> it wasn't then, like it wasn't like you know, it was just a you know, an exaggerated story of our final conversation. Um, well, the, the reason I, I believe the, yeah, the reason that the other guy was, uh, you didn't even tell the best part of the story. The reason the other guy was a, like a fucking comedic God to us that, uh, we're telling you the story was because at the very end, he had one show where he went up. It was after a year of doing this and he went up in a wheelchair and then did his set, and then when he got off, or got done, he just said, alright guys, thanks, that's my time. He got up out of the wheelchair and just walked off stage out to his car and left the wheelchair. That's true fucking heel heat. And the great part of the story, and this is the urban legend tale, he got in the car, he pulled out of the, out of the parking <laughs> lot, got into a head-on collision with the truck, and to this day, he's in a wheelchair. So... That is the story. <laughs> so that's the first way. That's that's what I think about Sam. By the way, the... his name his name is Emery Draws. <laughs> what Darren Drawsdoff? Uh, that's another guy that's in a wheelchair. <laughs> um, so 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 that's the one story. But then the other story is we were in Toronto and we were working on a weekend where uh, for some reason Richard Dreyfus. Uh, was going to come up and drop in and do a guest spot on the Sunday night show. And he was we filming a movie. He was filming a movie, and we couldn't understand why he was coming in to do comedy. He's not Robin Williams, who's famous for that, but, you know, he, he was in town 
uh, doing Comic-Con. So tons of attention. Like he doesn't need to go to a comedy club. But he came up to the comedy club and uh, he did a spot. And uh, he, he, I, I'm telling you right now, he was the worst comic on the show that night. And <laughs> there was only four of us. So he came forth. Uh, but he was on stage and we figured to out be re- that- to be respectful he's not a he's not a stand up he's a comedian or he was like doing research so he was basically doing his first thing so he wasn't supposed to be fu- i mean he was trying to be funny but he wasn't supposed to be that's no, me giving not. an olive branch to this old fucking asshole yeah so we're being so so we give him the spot and um give him the spot he went and he went over <laughs> he was like fucking way over 15, yeah. 15, he almost did like 20 minutes, which is way too long. He had maybe six minutes, but he was researching a role. And uh, at the end of the show, he loved the headliner. Um, I think he liked me, but he did not take to Sam at all. He just thought Sam was too loud. But you got to realize <laughs> that, and I realized this, even though he looks like Richard Gere, I mean Richard uh, Dreyfus. Uh, even though he looks like Richard Dreyfus, uh, when I helped him onto the stage, he was a frail old man. <laughs> yes. And and like that's the confusing thing about Botox and plastic surgery. It really can fuck with you because Joan Rivers don't look that old. No, she had a fucking mask on for the last 40 years. <laughs> she was 140 her- when she died. There's no conspiracy. She was old. You know, her outsides were pickled, but her insides were death. <laughs> so, so that's so Richard Dreyfus. Uh, I always make fun of Richard Dreyfus not liking uh, Sam. That is the oh, that's, God damn it. that's the joke that we do. And the best thing is, in the end, if you watch the Netflix movie that stars Chevy Chase and Richard Dreyfus, who they let Chevy Chase be the agent and Richard Dreyfus <laughs> is the comedian. I'm like, well, that's yeah. cast backwards. Um, <laughs> you know, but I guess they didn't want a racist comic in there. So Richard Dreyfus played the comedian and, um, and the, uh, the movie's terrible. It's a terrible yes. movie. So, you know, and that, that's who tried giving me advice. The only bit of solace I get whenever, like, cause I love, I love telling that story, but it's like, I definitely like, it sucks to tell it. Cause I'm just getting shit on by some fucking non-comic. And yeah. the only bit of solace that I have that like, I can keep a little bit of face is that everybody was fawning over him. And I kind of was too at first. I'm like, holy shit, Richard Dreyfus. Then he said that shit to me and he just became a regular fucking asshole to me. And I remember right before he left, we were all sitting in the green room. Everybody got up to like shake his hand and he came over to like shake my hand. And all I did was look at him. And I'm like, yeah, man, good set tonight. And I looked away, didn't even shit. That's the only, the fact that I could just treat him like an open micer, which he was, is the only <laughs> bit of salt I got. Yeah. Fucking. Oh my God. Close and encounter he had, of the fucking long kind. Um, the, the worst part about all of that is he hasn't thought about me since he saw me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've probably thought about him once a month since that happened, and if we if if I saw him again, he wouldn't even know what comedy was because he has Alzheimer's. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. I'd be like, "Do you remember me?" And he's like, "What about Bob?" I'm like, "I don't know." So, anyways, regardless, this is talking wrestling, and the quarantine has led you down a wormhole. And now you're back into wrestling. Is this yeah, true? Man. This is the rule. Yeah. This is the word on the street. <laughs> yeah. You know, you try to find shit to pass your time with. And like, uh, I, I got a kid now. Uh, she's one years old. So I can't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't just watch, uh, like a shitload of, uh, television or Netflix. I can't just binge that. So I've just been, kind of watching stuff and listening to stuff as it goes. And I've just, for some reason, got back into uh, wrestling. But I, I think I think it's to combat all the just horse shit that's going on. Uh, it's more like nostalgic wrestling, too. Yeah. Because, um, like, I, I could easily get into, was it AEW? Uh, mm. I've heard good things. Yeah. I would assume that I'd like, I've seen clips of Orange Cassidy. Uh, I, I like I like 
his weird shit that he's doing. He's doing some pretty uh, funny stuff. Yeah, it's good. Like I, I, I like all the new stuff, and I've even watched clips of like NXT. I've even watched clips of uh, whatever happened with WWE performing without an audience, which is both awful and awesome at the same time. It's so yeah. weird. Um, it's, it's like you know, watching it's comedy like, it's, nowadays. It's like it's like watching, uh, literally, like watching rehearsals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because. But- they're pausing and waiting for the audience pop. They're coming <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. Like, they're waiting. They're doing everything that they were doing as if there was an audience. And I wish they would just, like, look at Fuck, there's no audience. There's no need to pander on the way to the ring after your announcement, because after they announce you, because you there's no audience. Just get to the well, fucking ring, I- you know? See, that's the problem. That's why I've been going. This is actually perfect because this is, I think, why I'm more watching nostalgic wrestling than I am. Because I've watched new stuff and like I, I like it because I, you know, I like the technical dance of it. Like it's, it's like watching any other. Like I, the reason I like watching baseball. Like I, I used to play baseball, but I, I'm not strong enough to have ever really hit a home run. That's why I, I like watching people do shit that I can't do. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think the reason I like more like mid to late '80s through the '90s wrestling is because there was still kayfabe, and I think that's what I don't like about nowadays is like kayfabe is dead. Yeah. For all intents and purposes. And no, so bothered. whenever. Yes. Keep going. So, well, I was going to say something like this where they're doing these quarantine shows and like pausing and stuff. And it's like, if they were pretending like this was real, it could be even more entertaining to where it's more like just grudge matches. Like you said something like you said you wanted to kill my fucking family. And then it's just, you know what? We're fighting. We don't even need an audience. We're fighting because I don't like you. And then you get kind of that like blood feud stuff. I know you couldn't do that with everybody, but there would be it would be more entertaining to where I could like sit back and watch it other than going like, why are you stopping right now? What's going like? Yeah. Why are you doing the Hulk Hogan ear thing? Yeah, totally. And I think the wrestling, like as far as it goes, I think um, it can like it can really. You know, it's like you only need so many storylines to make a show good. And, yeah, yeah. you know, they don't need – and what they do is, like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, do they have any storylines planned? You know, and it's – it's. Uh, but the good thing about old wrestling is even though you weren't in the storyline, every wrestler had a job. <laughs> so you know they were going to be okay. Like the, the – hey, I haven't seen the pig farmer in a while. Oh, he's attending <laughs> – He's at the farm. He'll be okay. But what about <laughs> the dumpster? What about the repo man? He's out working too tonight. He can't be at every show, you know. Okay. Well, what about uh, you know? Like everybody had. There was the the plumber. Uh, there was the garbage man. You know, the pig farmer. They had all like that's the good thing. So if you didn't see them on the show, you're like, oh, they have another job. They'll be okay. But. Well, that's that's that that was the biggest uh, that was the biggest problem with uh, the million dollar man uh, retiring and becoming a pastor. So many people were like those fish that eat off a shark. Like yeah. million dollar man was a shark, but he was funding fucking Virgil, IRS, uh, <laughs> uh, Repo Man. Like oh, well, so many gimmicks were based on like, hey, the million dollar man's paying for me to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And not only that. Uh, he went when he went to WCW. He was the first guy to fund the NWO. He was the guy behind the commercials, the NWO commercials, before they realized, revealed who they like, you know, who everybody was and all that. Ted DiBiase's money funded all that too. He's he is rich. He is a million dollar man. I googled it. It says how much is Ted DiBiase worth, and it said duh, million dollars. Huh. <laughs> so. But you're right, kayfabe, I, I, you know what I don't like? Like, for example, here's the one that bothers me the most in the WWE is um, Charlotte Flair is dating uh, uh, Andrada. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm, I'm not bothered that they're dating. But on wrestling, Andrada 
his manager is Sophia Vega, uh, Vegara or Sophie Vega or whatever. I can't remember her pronunciation of her actual name. She's this uh, this valet slash wrestler herself, and she has this stable of the four uh, Hispanic guys. And um, the whole thing is like, well, why is why is he with her when he could be with his girlfriend, who's the world champion and way tougher? Like it just doesn't make sense to me, you know. So yeah. it really ruins the storyline when I'm to believe that this girl cares for the shape of this guy, but when he's getting beat up, it's like, well, his girlfriend's in the back. Why is she doing something? You know, and like, kayfabe could be so much more potent nowadays because of social media. Oh yeah, you can, you know you what can I mean? make like it, it so be, much better. Yeah, because back in the day. And by back in the day, just so I'm 32, so my back in the day was, you know, Attitude Era and a little bit before that. I'm a huge Bret Hart, like, I'm probably the biggest Bret Hart mark uh, other than Bret Hart himself. <laughs> um, like, so much so that to this day, anytime I go out to Calgary, because that's where my lady's from, I message him. And tell him when all my shows are if he'd like to come out. Like, I still do that. He has, like, um, I'm, I'm sure he has, like, at least 13, 14 comics that do that to him every year. Oh, I know. But I, you know, it's a boyhood dream. I saw him. Uh, he came through Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from. He, I actually got to watch him. And for some, like, I had, you know, I was a fucking poor kid, so we were up in the rafters. But I still had the thought that he was going to for some reason, come all the way up and give me his glasses. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I can't, I don't want to go into this yet. Uh, I haven't had enough whiskey. Um, what the fuck was I saying? I have his glasses so, right here in front of me on my wall and they're framed and they're autographed. Did you, he gave them to you? No. Um, uh, these are the original. Or, or you bought them and then. From the original uh, run. Yeah, I bought them. And then wow. later on at a hockey tournament that I knew he was going to be at. I brought the glasses to the game, and I stalked them, and I went, and they were they they had security around them because they were people were bothering them, and, yeah. But then he saw me with the glasses, and uh, and he's like, let that guy through, and because these oh, are like vintage cool. vintage glasses, and then he signed them for me, and then uh, at the next game I saw him at, which was like four days later, I brought his first ever. 1986 WWF magazine cover where he's on it by himself. Uh, so that would have been his first magazine cover. Uh, I think by himself without Jim Neidhart. And uh, it's definitely his first WWF magazine cover. And I got that autographed as well. And I had them framed together on my wall. That's that's awesome. Well, whenever quarantine's done, I'm going to come over. We'll drink and just... Uh, oh, dude. Not, on, not, not even podcasts. We'll just talk about Bret Hart. But I, that reminds me, because you said the, the magazine real quick. Yeah. Uh, so you remember back in the day, the only way you would know, I mean, other than like, I remember in the States, it was like USA Network on Saturday mornings. You could kind of watch the U WWF like behind the scenes thing. But really, the only way you would know the backstories of most stuff was buying the magazines. But now with all of the wrestlers having social media, if you were like Bill Watts strict on uh, like keeping kayfabe and shit, uh, then it, it, everybody would be so invested in uh, like everybody would know that the results are uh, pre-planned. You can't get rid of that. But this, some of it is still like, oh, dude, did they really fucking hate each other? Yeah. You know, for every for every made up thing. They're still like, no, these guys really fucking hate each other. Did you fucking Randy Orton took a bunch of elbow shots? That wasn't fake. Dude, fucking, they got real heat. I read about yeah. it. You know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that you could still make that a thing, but they, uh, I don't know. From from what? Again, I'm just getting back into this, and I'm more back into my bullshit thing. Uh, I went on a huge tear with. Uh, earthquake I, I really forgot how much i fucking love him as a wrestler he's such a talented athlete so uh, good he was a, he was an amazing sumo wrestler before he even crossed over as a professional wrestler yeah he was like an undefeated sumo wrestler yeah that's why he got into that uh that shoot thing with uh, the sumo wrestler. dude in japan yeah 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 and he yeah, and he's canadian too he's a 
we first came in, he was the great Canadian earthquake. And then they realized that Canada doesn't have a history of earthquakes. So um, just let's just call him the earthquake. <laughs> we even had a great earthquake, you know. <laughs> so we're hoping well, someday. I, so you're you're more into it than I am right now. Are there any – in any real promotions, are there any earthquake type – because I remember like back in the day, like fat guys were a thing. But it seems yeah. now – it's all like uh, you know, Chris Jericho types. You know which, what? Don't the, get me wrong. The, I like, but I, yeah. I miss the variety where it was like you know you'd have a Bret Hart versus an earthquake versus uh, you know Coco Beware. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the, the great thing about wrestling is it's never really discriminated towards any shape, type, uh, gender, or 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 orientation of 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 any wrestler like it's you you see all sorts of colors of wrestlers and all sorts of sizes and uh, from midgets to giants and that's what i love about wrestling but right now isn't we're in an era where you know the heaviest set guy is samoa joe or the heaviest set guy is kevin owens at least on television um although there are guys out there puff is one that comes to mind immediately he was Ranked, I think, 500th on the PWI 500, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's 500. Uh, he was ranked 500, and uh, he, he's like 450 pounds, and he's big, and but he can move. And, uh, you know, so the last big guy, too, maybe Super Uno, uh, was fairly big when he first joined AEW or when they first showed up at, uh, at All In. Um, but then since then he's lost at least a hundred pounds and he looks way better. So right now there's just not a lot of fat wrestlers out there. They're more likely to be found on the Indies, but even Kevin Owens, who's in great shape is considered a fat wrestler now. And I've never, you know, maybe he's got a comparison to someone like Jerry Blackwell, but he's never been as fat as Jerry Blackwell, you know? So it it it's it's crazy, uh, you know, because coming up when I was a kid, Dusty Rhodes was one of the most popular guys. <laughs> and Dusty was, Rhodes, and I just thought, like, I hated him because I just thought he was a fat slob. I didn't know the fucking curse was gonna flip on me, and I'm gonna turn out to be a fat <laughs> slob. And now I look at Dusty, and I'm like, fuck, he's amazing because I could not fucking keep that cardio up for a full hour. Yeah, he, he I mean, he he was uh, what I call Chris Farley fat, where it's like a, a, a really, f a, like, fit guy wrapped in fat. Yeah, and there are guys, like, there's another guy like that. His name is Keith Lee, and he's come from, he's in NXT right now, and he's one of the champions down there, and he had a moment this year in the Royal Rumble with Brock Lesnar, where Brock Lesnar like, oh, who the fuck is this big boy? And they had a good interaction in the ring, and it was amazing. But Keith Lee's probably the biggest heavy set guy that's doing well right now, I would say. And uh, and he's still like not that he's not I wouldn't consider him fat. He's just heavy set. He's just a big motherfucker. So you know. But it's so funny when you talk about kayfabe because last night I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and the first thing I watched was um, the Vicky Lawrence show, <laughs> and, uh, and the Vicky Lawrence show had um, uh, um, Missy Hyatt, Jesse Ventura on, as well as <laughs> Rick Rude, Johnny B. Bad, and Sting. And so they're so, <laughs> Johnny B. Bad. Yeah. So Johnny. You mean Sable's bitch? Exactly. He is Sable's bitch. I'm like, or he's Brock's bitch because Brock took his woman and his finisher. Um, oh yeah pretty much they have their their finishes were very similar but so <laughs> anyway uh it's just so hilarious so anyway they're they're being interviewed by vicky rick rude has the world championship which i didn't even know he ever held which is amazing and him and stinger enemies and she brings up she's like whoa wait are you like you and Sting aren't you guys enemies like can you guys be here together and and Sting goes, of course we can be here together. Just because we don't like each other doesn't mean we aren't professional. 
We work for WCW, which is a branch of CNN and Ted Turner Productions. And he goes, and if we come on this show and get into a brawl, we'll be charged like anyone else and taken to jail and we'll lose our jobs. He's like, and we'll be fined. And that's we don't want that. He goes, that's so, great. And so he fucking kayfabed this whole bullshit thing to say, this is why Rick Rude and I. But the whole interview, they were at each other, fucking insulting each other the whole time. And it was awesome. That's see that I mean, I, I yeah I I'd like to talk to like uh, uh, someone who's I don't know maybe sixteen like prime wrestling like sixteen through eighteen you know and I'd like to talk to one of the like my nephews and see if they even give a shit like if you were to show them an old one with like kayfabe if they would even give a shit or if because it's not re- I know it's around, but it's not as prevalent. I wonder if it just, nobody gives a shit. So it's, it's like our parents talking about like, man, this isn't music. I'll tell you what's music. Yeah. And they're right, but they're wrong. It's all, <laughs> <laughs> they're right. I'm like, I yeah. just, the, the reason I think, and again, I could be wrong. This is me getting back into it. But spots, like doing spots are great. Big spots are amazing. But I always enjoyed the psychology of it. Like, that's why I never could really get into, like, my old roommate, Alan Grafton, who's a great comedian. Um, He was a huge ECW guy. And we used to talk about this all the time. He was a huge ECW guy. And I told him I used to not be able to get into it all that much. Like, I I liked it. But it was all like a lot of times the stories weren't as or not the stories because they were the uh, the psychology of it wasn't uh, what um, something like a WWF or WW or WCW could be because they they didn't get shock and off spots. They didn't get someone being on fire. They didn't get yeah. giant table things. They didn't get to be cool. And I think ECW was ahead of that with hardcore and big spots because that's kind of what wrestling's become nowadays is it's just become ECW, if not just toned down a little bit without drinking, swearing, and blood. But it's kind of the same animal. It definitely Um, did. ECW definitely did drive the industry forward. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 And it was like the big two totally stood like, Come on, they took everything from ECW, but at the same time, WWE helped keep ECW alive. They took every idea from them. They took their best wrestlers from them. You yeah. know, but hey, these guys all needed to get paid eventually. So, you know, I just think it's weird that uh, Paul Heyman, who is one of the best people ever on the mic, and knowing how to like elicit emotion and psychology out of the crowd that his promotion and stuff didn't have it the way that I, that I remember liking so much to where it's like to, to really, again, I got to mark out for uh, Bret Hart, but the Bret Hart and Owen Hart, I, I went back and watched that. That's kind of what started me down this yeah giant rabbit hole. I was like, I remember loving that match. And I went back and watched it. I was like, WrestleMania this is 10? a great, Yes, yeah, it was amazing. Perfect match, perfect match. Yes. And there was so, like, the, I even watched, I told you about the OSW review guys that yes. I, I got into. And I noticed a spot on there because they kind of pointed it out. And I was like, holy shit, the psychology of that's amazing. At one point during the match, Owen, I think, has got him in an arm bar. And he, like, puts his boot on Brett's forehead and, like, does the rake across his forehead. And you can actually see Brett look up at Owen like, don't fucking cheat, you son of a bitch. And just that little bit, even if you miss it, is just such a fun Easter egg Yeah. for if you do catch it. To, it makes it rewatchable. It's, it's more of like, oh shit, that's that's awesome to be... Jake the Snake was good at that type of shit too. Like, I, I don't know. I miss, I miss that type of ring psychology to where it's like, okay, that you're at least trying to make this seem... Not a joke. Yeah. Like, um, 
I was watching Impact tapings a couple summers ago, and Tessa Blanchard, who's probably one of the best women in wrestling today, uh, she was uh, coming down like outside the ring, and then the camera sort of moved, guy moved, and she sort of she accidentally bumped into the camera, and uh-huh. then uh, you know it was a mistake; it wasn't supposed to happen, but she sold it. Like she got fucking hit by the camera guy, and like she sold it. It's like it wasn't planned. You could tell it wasn't planned, but she took a second where she didn't sell, and then she fucking stopped for a second and shook her head, and and then sold. And like she didn't have to. We everybody yeah, knew yeah. it was an accident, but still the 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 dedication to fuck. I'm gonna sell this because I can sell it later on in the match. You know, you watch. Uh, Oh my God! There's like so many matches where the psychology is just so beautiful, and most of them are Bret Hart matches. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like people often argue, like, and I will, like, we argue about WrestleMania 10 has the two great matches. You have Owen and Bret right off the gun, mm-hmm. and then you have uh, Sean and, and Razor with the ladder. Yep. Match. And a lot of people say the ladder match is better, but and again. It's like it's like comedy, you know. It's like, um, you know, you look at the Brett and Owen match. It tells a story. It's fucking great. They don't need any gimmicks. It's not hack. There's no shtick. It's two brothers that don't like. Well, one that hates him, hates the other one. The other one loves his other one, so that he's not gonna. And so they're, you know, one's a cheater, one's the honest guy. I'm mean, like. The story between the two brothers and then it built it up to that match is so fucking great. And you're so invested in it that they gave it a 22-minute 20, match. That's main event fucking time for the first match on the card. Like, to go number one, to take the bullet, and to go number one with no gimmicks, no fucking ladders, no no high spots, just fucking wrestling, and two brothers in a story. And that then that it was a ten out of ten match, and then you look at Sean and Razor, and they you know people say oh Sean had a fucking match with a ladder that night, they don't even include Razor into it. Yeah. The fact is is one match is all gimmick, and one match is one hundred per fucking cent wrestling, and I will well, take that match over the ladder match anytime because ladder matches can get better as we saw. Uh, tables, ladders, chairs later on with the with the I, triple guys. I, I was uh, I was just about to bring up that point of like I love that Razor Sean match, but if you were to show like a new wrestling fan that uh, compared to what they've seen on any given uh, TLC like yeah like show, would they even give a shit or would they just think it's like it's like me when I watch like old 70s it's hard for me to watch old 70s wrestling unless it's a like a real classic some of this old 70s wrestling or even like 50s or 60s you it know it can be hard wrestling. to watch like yeah, that's why but, when you watch a lot of uh like old tapes of old matches they're always it's never the match in its entirety there's always cuts throughout the matches like mm-hmm. it's like oh we're gonna miss Bruno. Put this guy in a headlock for fucking seven minutes on the <laughs> on, on the floor, like just lie there. Because that was that's the amazing thing about wrestling is like wrestling, like comedy. The whole idea behind it is that everything that they do in that moment is to get a reaction out of the live audience. Yeah. And the only thing is, is when I've realized it's not like comedy, stand up is when you can still do it without the audience. Because like. I look at there are comics out there that fucking think they can do stand up without it without the audience, but there it's it's not it's not right it's not the same. It's doing it from your bedroom to the internet is not the same. It's not like it's like I can do comedy on the internet, but it's more like I'm a guest on a show and I'm doing panel and I can make the host and the other people laugh. I can do that. That's fine. Sketches are fine. Stand up. Stop wrecking it. Like, don't... <laughs> just don't do it. Don't do it. And tons of people are doing it. It's like, it's like I don't know. I get insecure when my jokes fall to flat audiences. I know a lot of comics don't because they continue to do comedy. 
but <laughs> um but i get insecure i need those laughs and when you saw saturday night live do their first live show in the new era of quarantine uh the fucking weekend update guys were like fuck this and they brought in people to laugh at the jokes yeah because they were that insecure about just throwing jokes out there to fucking silence because they know because they're a fucking stand well especially michael che probably said oh fuck you know because he's a stand-up and a huge wrestling fan so it's colin joe's so it's colin jost i know but you know, I, yeah, I, he's I, not Michael Che. Yeah, he's not Michael Che, and it doesn't matter how many Avengers he gets to bang. It doesn't well, let, matter. Let me... <laughs> All right, let me throw just to be devil's advocate. I wonder if creating a new match isn't the same because a lot of those, like a lot of the wrestling matches, to my knowledge, are a lot of people that have kind of done the show before. Or I've done the the routine before, or something similar. Yeah. I wonder, and I think that a comedian could you could do your act, right? It won't feel the same, but I bet you could do the your act, uh, like just streaming it, and you'll still get laughs from people at home or at you know a, a similar reaction. But like the same way, it's new material for us would be almost impossible to come up with in this new like fucking quarantine era i wonder if it's just as difficult for wrestlers to come up with a new match with someone they've never worked with before i mean they could call spots but do you think they'd be comfortable enough to go like i think we did a good job you know what i mean because you can't play to the crowd you're just you're basically just doing spots and hoping that people think it's good well that's the thing is like is like um wrestling is Although I say it's like stand-up. It, it still is like comedy, but it is like sketch comedy because you totally have to give yourself to the fucking routine that you guys have planned, and you have to totally buy in. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of guys don't like to... And then that's, that's only one style. Like, that's... Macho Man wrote his matches out. So yeah. he yeah, yeah. gave you a script. Here's point one. Here's two. Here's three. And, and you would go through it with them, and this is the next step, and this is the next step. And he would call numbers in the ring. Three, you know, four, you know, like, and then you just followed the fucking. But whereas Ric Flair, he's like, and Hogan, those guys are like, we'll call it in the ring, you know, which means you don't know the fucking script. We're just going to, I'm just going to tell you as we go along, and I'm going to make it up in my brain. And that's like improv. You know, like, and they, well, to to be fair to to Mach versus uh, Hogan and Flair, Mach was doing much more technical stuff, so I think that's why he needed to like have call spots. Where it's like Hogan and Flair, they were like, you know what, you're just here. Let me like, I'll I'll do the work. You just look good when I tell you to. Yeah, but even like, when they wrestled Macho, props. even when they wrestled Macho, they had to bow to his style though. Sure, yeah. but I'm saying I'm saying I think the reason that I think the more meticulous wrestlers, like, to my understanding, because I think Brett was a lot like that, and I think Sean was a lot like that in a lot of instances, like trying to call out or map it out. It's yeah. because you're doing a lot more technical stuff, and it's hard to just be like, all right, let's do a Canadian destroyer without anybody hearing you. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, if you're Hogan or Flair. Like, Hogan didn't bump for anybody. He would just go through the same motions most of the time. And then Flair would bump for everybody, but it was always his bumps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was always, both of them always kind of did the same stuff. So they were like, ah, you know, we'll call it. All right, here's here's time for me to do the Flair flop, or here's time for me to Hulk out. And it's like, yeah, you're not really calling that much. You know what I mean? Apparently, Vince McMahon hated when Ric Flair went up to the top rope. He hated that really? spot. And that's like a legendary flair spot is yeah. he goes up to the top rope and he gets thrown off every single time, which is what well, you, you, you wait for that because it's hilarious. Yeah, Cause he's the bad guy. Yeah. Like, especially like there's, he would get, he'd do the face plant. He would get up, he would run down the, like he would like literally run down the apron to hop on the ring post to get up, to do the spot. And he would still fucking get caught and still yeah, get... Yeah, yeah. Uh, only Chris Jericho said uh, 
to, uh, uh, said that he uh, when they did that spot, Chris Jericho actually let him, you know, let him land a, a like do a move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they switched it up, but apparently Vince McMahon hated that spot. But uh, you know, I'm sure I, I don't Vince take, hates a lot I don't, of things. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't take much stock in what Vince McMahon hates, considering he hates when people sneeze, is what I heard, which is fucking insane yes he's, he thinks you're weak so that's how much that's how the, so when you hear him saying like like the fact that a cold and a flu is crippling the economy <laughs> and really <laughs> fucking him over <laughs> you know he's like well, god damn you know ugh. you know it must bother the fuck out of him that I, you know i that's hilarious because i i when i heard that it uh God damn! I don't even want to say that because I think what you just said is way funnier. But uh, when I heard that he like or hates sneezing but loves like shit and fart jokes. Oh yeah. I I actually started to wonder if it's a conspiracy that he doesn't actually hate sneezes. He just loves shit and fart so much that he makes people feel so weird and has them hold it in that eventually someone's had to like shit or fart against their will right in front of them. Like holding in a like a couple of sneezes, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then they, it they, comes they, out the other way. They had to be in a meeting, and then he's just like, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they shit their pants, and then he gets a good laugh out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he shit himself. <laughs> now puke, puke. He puke. just went dookie, dookie. Um, yeah, that's totally. He's a definitely potty humor is what he loves. And uh, and it's it's prominent throughout so many years of WWE stuff. He's worked shit jokes in time and time again. Uh, I just recently heard this, like when they blew Mr. McMahon up in the limousine, which was a mm-hmm. angle during the Attitude Era. Um, I remember it. Yeah. Apparently, Donald Trump called the family to see if they were okay. Oh my God! Are you kidding? Yeah, That's he, not real. So Donald Trump got worked by. The limousine exploding. <laughs> Out of all the things to get worked by, that that's what you would get worked by? I didn't even think that Vince would kill himself on TV. It's not something he would do. You know, like, <sighs> oh, my God. I just love, I just love, like, he's like, I'm like I love that he was, said he was kidding. But he is, like, I've, like, it's funny to watch him backpedal, but to be like, it was sarcasm. I was kidding. No, I wouldn't put bleach in my veins. Like, I'm like, no. I watched the interview. You were, you were pretty adamant that these people look into these things, these ideas that you had. So I love how comics are canceled for saying shit that doesn't get people killed. Yet he doesn't even get impeached. Like nothing. No. What he, a weird he, fucking world we live in. Which is why I'm escaping to the 80s and 90s. Yes. Well, I'm gonna warn you. There's two WrestleManias in the middle there. That he's a big part of. <laughs> oh no, I know. I, but I can I can disconnect that Trump from, uh, you know, the one that's ruling over my family right now. Yeah, yeah, that Trump was was harmless. He was only destroying the uh, the uh, the what was that the the fucking football the USFL back then, you know. Uh, he wasn't into destroying everything else. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sure he was destroying many lives, but you know, at least he was entertaining about it. This is uh, when you got to tell people you're being sarcastic, and I know from experience when you have to tell people you're being sarcastic, uh, you're not doing a good job at being funny. Yeah, just crazy, crazy stuff. Well, that's pretty much it. We pretty much wrapped up 45 minutes of uh, talking wrestling chit chat. Um. So, I could go another forty-five. I know talking you could about go this. another forty-five. Uh, you want to talk about wrestling psychology? My favorite match of all time is uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart, WrestleMania thirteen. I already watched it twice during it's, this whole quarantine. You know what's amazing so, about that match is, first of all, it's a um, it's a submission match, so which means that there's not going to be any false finishes. There's not yep. going to be any pinfalls. Yep. So you realize you got to put a match together, yet you can't use any fall finishes or pinfalls at all. Like, and you still have to make this match. Like, man, it's just such a perfect match. And 
the fact that um and I've talked about this time and time again, the fact that they wanted him to just pass out in the sharpshooter, it doesn't help the character. It makes the character look like a wuss because he passed out in the sharpshooter. But the fact that he bled out is 100% a total different story. And if you bleed out, it's out of your control. And it he never quit. And fuck, it's just such a beautiful ending. And it's the... Like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Beyond, not Beyond the Mat. Um, oh, what is it? Dancing with Shadows, I think yep. it's called. It's a documentary. Yeah, of and it's yep. it covers this match, and it's so beautifully. And uh, it's the best match of all time. But, you know, I, I even if you watched it, go back and watch it again. And Now... It, Go An ahead. extra piece of uh, extra piece of spice that I just learned. So uh, Stone Cold interviewed Brett uh, recently, I think on his podcast or yeah. something. I somehow stumbled across it, and they both both of them admitted that when they were walking out to do the match, like they were like, "Yeah, you can go back and look at our faces." Both of them thought that the match was going to suck. Stone Cold thought it was going to suck because he's like, I'm not a submission guy. Nobody's going to buy that I can even stand a chance against Brett. And Brett, for some reason, was just going like, you know what? I don't feel good about this. Like, how is how is anybody going to buy that I'm, you know, not a baby face? How am I going to play dirty? Like, they both were apprehensive. Yeah. And yet they turned out one of the greatest matches of all time. And as a st- just relating that as a stand-up comic, the amount of times that I've had, like, that shitty energy of going up on stage going, like, you know what? These people aren't going to fucking like me. And then I end up, for some reason, wanting their attention more, which makes me better. Yeah. Like, I, I just as a performer, I related with that feeling of, like, sometimes you just, you feel like, you're going to do shit. So you try to overcompensate and it works out in your favor. It's amazing too. Is like, um, you watch that match and just, uh, Oh, it's just, it's just such a beaut. Like, you know, um, yeah. And the respect that stone cold has for Brett too, on his show, you can really, really see that they truly like, you know, Brett putting stone cold over. Actually, he never put him over. Stone cold, never beat Brett Hart. But yeah, he. Uh, but the fact is, he put him over in a more realistic fashion, and it's just you know, and it's just funny. Like uh, you look at the um, another great match, Bret Hart match is uh, him and Davy Boy Smith at Wembley Stadium in SummerSlam. Uh, you when you look at the story behind that match, that Davy Boy Smith was coming off a crack hangover. <laughs> And, yeah, and did not remember the match at all. So Brett had to call. So everything Brett had to tell him, and the fact that he's wrestling with like I don't know, I know what a regular hangover is like, and I could not fucking do anything with a regular hangover, let alone get out in front of eighty thousand people and wrestle with a fucking crack hangover in the main event at the fucking SummerSlam. Like, and it's an amazing match. And when and he goes. You know, it's like Brett's like, you know, in, in the documentaries, Brett's like, you know, Davy Boy really thought that was a shiny moment. I'm like, yeah, he beat Brett the Hitman Hart with a fucking crack hangover in his home country. <laughs> it is a shiny moment. That was an was impressive like, athletic feat yeah, on any can, measure. Can you imagine if he didn't have a crack hangover, he would have beat you every time he fucking wrestled you. He so, was also a British guy in dreadlocks, if I remember correctly. He did. Cornrow dreadlocks. But at the same time, Lennox Lewis was in his corner and was another British guy with dreadlocks. <laughs> Fair enough. Who, oddly enough, both have, oddly enough, have ties to Canada. Because uh, they are both have Canadian family members or are married to Canadians or have lived in Kitchener, Ontario. So, you know. Uh, there's it's that. The Commonwealth, you know. Well, you guys he, stick together. Well, I think uh, Lennox Lewis's mom still lives in Kitchener to this day, and uh, yeah, like uh, Russell Peters when he lived here, used to hang out with Lennox Lewis when he was up in he'd come home and they would hang out and stuff like that. So it's crazy. It's crazy that they're they're buddies. But real uh, quick, if you could. Uh, I know you wanted to end this, but I do no, have to ask it's all this right. question. We're in overtime. It's it's not even overtime. I don't care. It ends when it ends. What's up? Go on. Uh, 
Yeah, listen, we're, we're we're in the new age of wrestling. There's no such thing as timed matches anymore, or referees for that matter, um, or rules. Uh, so if if you could befriend, and I'm saying like hang out with on the road, okay? So you could hang out with on the road, both. Uh, you know what I'm gonna say as a manager, okay? Hang out with on the road. You travel as their manager. Kayfabe is alive and well. So whatever their gimmick is, you got to put them over like okay. Rover and keep it going, even when you're at a fucking Denny's. Okay. All right. Any wrestler alive or dead, who would you manage, and what do you think the what do you think like your managerial role would be? Like, would you be like a Bobby Heenan, a Paul Barrett, or you know what I mean? Well, I would want to do it for someone like, um, like I would want to be like Bobby Heenan or Paul Heyman, just somebody who did all the speaking, and okay. having a wrestler that spoke less is even better. Someone like Brock or The Undertaker, who doesn't want to say shit, just fucking do all the speaking for them, and and someone that people fear, like people like you know in The Undertaker's matches, uh, I I was listening to talk as Jericho a couple weeks ago and they had a ref that ref the uh, Shawn Michaels Undertaker match the original one and not the original the original Wrestlemania one in 25 Wrestlemania yeah. 25 and um, they, they he refs, he said whenever you uh, ref an Undertaker match the Undertaker never liked the referees to get too close to the actual Undertaker during the match and Chris Jericho said why is that and the ref said, because the Undertaker always said the referee should be f- afraid of the Undertaker. That's awesome. And I'm like, fucking right. That makes 100% sense. He's yeah. a fucking zombie. You should <laughs> yeah. be afraid of him. Stop asking him if he's okay. Just stay away from him. You well, know? Well, even, even, le- I'll even say, like, even less psychology of that. Um, I think that should go towards everything. Uh, not just the Undertaker, like psych- psychology-wise, because if your opponent is scared of you and the ref isn't, then that kind of makes you look like a bitch now that I think about it. Yeah. Because someone that can like get knocked out by a feather from a pillow isn't scared of your character, but your opponent is, then yeah, it's that kind of doesn't uh, keep with the psychology. I didn't even think about that, but it's probably been in the back of my mind while watching. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that should be a thing. Well, it's definitely going to change my uh, my viewing habits when I watch Undertaker matches. Now I'm going to be watching the ref in 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 more fashion, like to see how close he is getting. You know, the great matches, Undertaker versus Edge from WrestleMania. Jim Corderas takes a boot in the face from The Undertaker, and uh, it's pretty awesome. So maybe we'll go back and watch <laughs> that, see that, and uh, watch that match. So, uh, well, you, okay, you didn't you didn't answer my you didn't fully answer my question. Though. What's so the question who, again? Who who exactly would the wrestler be? Oh well, I would. Well, then I would say um, uh, Undertaker. Would so no, you be uh, Undertaker, say, well, but. It's either, As Bobby Heenan? Um, you, I don't know. Um, no, I would rather do Brock. I'd rather do Brock because you can joke around with Brock and everything. It's just that like, Brock is so good at his character that he, he, even as fans, you don't want to approach him in an airport or somewhere in public because you know, you have you have the feeling that he does not like people. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and that's the type of wrestler I would want. You would have to speak for because it have to make sense and be like, be like, don't bother my client, just give the catch up to me, and I would do everything for him. I would be more like Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman and Brock is the perfect wrestling manager combo, as far as I'm concerned. You know, because it's believe because it's believable because it really is outside yeah, of WWE. Yeah. Paul Heyman is still his manager. He's the guy that books his flights. He's the guy that books his hotels. He's the guy that does this and does that and gives him his itinerary and his schedule. You know, like he's and his even manager. if he's not, it is very believable that he would. Yeah, exactly. It is very believable that he would. So you know, I I would think I would want to be and 
I would want to be the ball Heyman to Brock Lesnar. That's now. Would you book his flights and do all that? Fuck yeah! If, if fucking if I'm getting fifteen percent <laughs> of what is if I'm getting fifteen percent of what he's making, yes, I would do all that. <laughs> You're like, yeah, dude. I'll even tweak his nipples at night. I don't give a fuck. I fucking book all my own flights, and I don't even get a cut of fucking what I make. <laughs> oh, that's sadly true. Yeah. Not anymore, though. Hey, we're poor. I know. I know. It's like. I hope I get refunds from my WrestleMania flight tickets. Oh, WestJet's <laughs> out of business? Okay, guess not. Um, lost 300 there. Uh, it's like, or then the Air Canada will give me a, a, a credit for a year. I'm like, what if this is longer than a year? Do I still, can I renew the credit? Like, I have a feeling I'm just going to lose $600 in air flight. But, you know, unless I get to fly before whatever, who knows? We'll see. We'll see where the world's at. But uh, hopefully there's WrestleMania next year. That's all I hope. So with that said, uh, where can we – I this is the part where I say, where can we find you? <laughs> where <laughs> well, are you performing I'm be on next? tour soon. Uh, well, uh, I, uh, all my social media, my website and everything is uh, I Sam Comedy, like the letter I, Sam Comedy. Yes. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, my website. Um, but I, uh, I just released, uh, my comedy special, awesome. uh, that I shot about a year and a half ago. Um, I released it for free so that everybody, uh, can just have it during this time and stay in so we can do uh, comedy. But yeah. I do ask, uh, if, if you are listening and you, and you do go watch it either on YouTube or download it on my website that you, um, you know, donate something to your own charity if you want but uh, the one that i've been promoting is one called the martin comedy grant um it's one that's set up that's giving a thousand dollars to uh comedians uh like as like if they get ten thousand uh, dollars of donations they yeah. give out ten one thousand dollar grants to comedians who are you know those of us who are struggling right now so cool. uh that's that's me trying to give back uh to you know, uh, all of all, all of us that are not lucky enough to be me in these times. So um, watch my special, but then try to think about how there's a lot of us who are not uh, married to a doctor. So cool. So that is I it's I Sam comedy comedy. All right. Yeah. And the, the special is called White Noise. White I'm Noise. A comedic genius. And uh, yes. So White Noise. I Sam yeah, Comedy, it, YouTube. And it's a it's a VR comedy special shot in three six like hundred percent like three sixty VR. So if you got like VR goggles or uh, uh, on your phone, uh, if you have one of the things, you can actually watch it and feel like you're in the comedy club. What if I have three D glasses? Three, you can put it on your TV, look at the uh, television with your three D glasses. And uh, you can watch it, but you'll feel like a fucking idiot. Okay. And if I have glasses made of uh, pipe cleaners? Oh, those work, actually. Oh, perfect. I got those. We weirdly enough, those work. Weirdly enough, I thought pipe cleaners were something for arts and crafts until like maybe 10 years ago, and I needed something to clean my pipe. And I realized pipe cleaners. Oh, oh pipe cleaners. <laughs> So, oh, I get it. Yeah, you would think pipe cleaners would be sold with cigarettes and pipes instead of at Michael's with shiny stars and glitter. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> they do sell them at tobacco stores, but they're not neon colored and come in packs of 50. They, I, the pipe cleaner industry needs a pipe cleaner mascot made out of pipe cleaners, and they're not even doing it. They're just so oblivious. That's actually um, to that's actually the the script that I'm writing for Toy Story Five right now. Awesome. It's just pipe cleaners and pipes going out of business because of vapes. That's awesome. That's so great. The pipe cleaners have arts and crafts. It's all we have left. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and the pipes are like, can we join? While like bubbles are coming out of the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, great. We're gonna have to write this. We got, we got, we got. We only have a year left. So all right. Well, hey. it'll be it'll be half pot, half whiskey inspired. <laughs> That's great, awesome. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on on uh, and uh, 
talking wrestling with us. And folks out there listening, thanks for letting us put a headlock in your ears. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. Never Sleeps Networks, talking wrestling. We'll talk to you next week. Quarantine time, baby. Enjoy it. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.